VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Monday, April the 18th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, David Williams. He's producing the program. Let's get the week off to a flying start. So, if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air is 273-5211. Or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. Well, hopefully you enjoyed your long Easter weekend or Ramadan or Passover, whichever you may indeed be celebrating. Hopefully it was... An enjoyable weekend with friends and family. I know that the gatherings have certainly kicked back in now that the restrictions have been eased to the point where people feel it's time to get together with their families in particular to celebrate either of those trio of celebrations. Okay, let's get her going. So the Growlers wrap up their regular season of fine form, shut out the Adirondack Thunder 5-0. It's the first uh, regular season they've been able to complete since 2019, of course. Now they are back at home at Mary Brown Center on Friday night to begin the playoff run to win yet another Kelly Cup, taking on the Trois-Rivières-Lyon. Of course, both teams owned by Mr. McDonald. So good luck to them. Tons of uh, minor hockey provincial championships happening throughout the course of the week. We wish all the participants safe travels, and hopefully you have yourself a fun time. Nothing better than chasing a provincial title as a young hockey player. And I see there was absolutely a hero's welcome and reception at Confederation Building for three-time Paralympian medalist Liam Hickey last week. So always like to throw in a mention of Liam when we get a chance to do exactly that. Okay. So it was today in history, 1999, that Wayne Gretzky played his last professional hockey game. Of course, he was a member of the New York Rangers at the time. Uh, they had missed the playoffs for the second consecutive season. They lost 2-1 that night. He had an assist on the lone goal by defenseman Brian Leach. You know, records are made to be broken. And when Gretzky retired, I think he had some 61 scoring records, many of which you can put to bed. There's a few records in this world that are not going to be touched. I mean, while we watch and marvel in the goal-scoring prowess of maybe someone like uh, Austin Matthews, I'll give him his due and give him a shout out. And many other goal scorers out there doing their thing this regular season. You know, how about 92 goals in a season? And when someone clears 100 points, big deal. Uh, I mean, how many 200 point seasons did Gretzky have? I think 215 is the record, right? You know, when we were doing hockey pools as young fellas, you could take Gretzky twice once Gretzky goals and once Gretzky assists. You couldn't have just Gretzky the player because that was completely unfair. Whoever had him had the, line, uh, the real odds chance to win the entire pool. So when you've got Wayne Gretzky with more assists than anybody has points, he has 1,963 assists. Yammer Jagger second on the all-time scoring board with 1,921 points. So some of these records are just absolutely gone. He's the best plus-minus in the top 10 all-time career scoring at plus 520. The next closest, you get down the list a little further, Ray Bork sneaks in as the 11th all-time leading scorer. He was plus 527. So the great one, uh, last pro game today 1999 and you know you talk about the the debate which is fun about what players might look like in the modern era whether it be Gretzky or otherwise and we see the passing of New York Islander legend Mike Bossy nine straight 50 goal seasons you know an absolute legend of the sport never got into a single fight in his NHL career three-time Lady Bing winner and Bossy was an absolute beauty my father who loved the Habs he loved Bossy I mean and so did we it was just remarkable to watch of course Part of the legendary four straight cups for the New York Islanders. So there you go. You want to talk about either of those? We can do it. Another couple of quick sports notes before we ease into this Monday show. 
So we all know that we are really producing more top-quality fast-pitch softball players per capita than any other province in the country, and it's well understood. So we've got a bunch of our boys. They're headed to Parana, Argentina. They left uh, yesterday. They're preparing for the Pan American Championships, which kicks off April 24th, runs until the 1st of May. Ten teams. The top four will advance to the World Championships in November in Auckland, New Zealand. And here's the NLers on the list, the Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. Sean Cleary, of course, from Harbour, Maine. Uh, Bradley Ezekiel from Harbour, Maine. Jason Hill from St. John's. Or Ezekiel, I think that's how that family pronounces. So Bradley Ezekiel from Harbour, Maine. Jason Hill from town. Shane Boland from the Ghouls. Colin Walsh from Petty Harbour. A couple of coaches prior to this team, too. Uh, Les Howley from CBS and John Hill from St. John's are both assistant coaches, so we wish them safe travels, good luck, good luck as they prepare for the Pan American Championships, and yes, to qualify in the top four to move on to the Worlds, coming up in Auckland, New Zealand. All right, did I have anything else? Oh, and they're celebrating 75 years of organized baseball in the city of St. John's, which is also pretty cool, if you ask me. Let's keep going. So this is fascinating, and it really would be quite noble and unheard of this day and age, given the fact that we've got the 24-hour news cycles and we're constantly bombarded. And, you know, my favorite is when you, if you watch much cable news, which I've tried to really wean my diet of too much of it, is, you know, everything's breaking, right? The big ball breaking. And, of course, it was the same story they told in the segment prior. It was today, 92 years ago, in 1930, and this is magical. At a quarter to nine, a BBC News announcer told the British public, there is no news, and went on to play piano music instead of the 15-minute interval which would be consumed with news during, up until the next bulletin. They were uh, talking about the curtain raising of the Wagner uh, opera Parsifal, which was being performed at Queen's Hall in Langham Place. So the reason why there was no news was because it was Good Friday. And though even though the newspapers were being printed, there was no release from the Home Secretary. And those days, of course, news gathering much, much different. So when the news announcer came for his opportunity to speak, his declaration was, there is no news, <laughs> which is never going to happen this day and age, as we know. And, of course, the rally cry, and I almost hate to say it because I find it to be one of the most mindless chants out there, is fake news. Uh, I got caught up in a piece of it last week. My bad. And so let me correct myself. His was, I believe, the first caller of the day on Friday talking about an additional tax on pickup trucks, for instance. And it was bandied about wide and far. People sent me articles. They turned out to be disinformation, purposefully spread, Opposition parties even tweeting it out that, you know, Trudeau's coming for your pickup trucks and all this additional tax has been levied on them. And it turns out it's simply not true. The caller said to me, did you see in the budget? And I said no. And the reason I said no is because it's actually not in the budget. You know, when we see campaigns take place and there will be some of the what happens if this party does X. And that's fair ball. And, you know, if you want to talk about the fact that at one point then Minister uh, Catherine McKenna said, the carbon tax won't increase beyond $50 a ton, which turns out not to be true. We can absolutely ask those questions, have those debates. But when something is obviously, demonstrably fake, false, inaccurate, but spread wide and far, that's where we find ourselves. It's becoming tougher and tougher to try to sift through the noise to come down to what's actually happening. Now, had there been utterances of, look out, you know it's coming, they're going to do it, that's one thing. But to declare that something is actually part of the budget when it's just not is not good for any of us, regardless of the party that you support. It's simply not helping. It is making what is an already tense situation politically in the country that much worse. 
And so you just imagine sitting in the war room for one politician, one party or another, and knowing what you're about to release is completely false, but doing it anyway, just to stoke the, uh, the flames, is just pathetic. So, and we all know this to be true. A lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth gets out of bed, which makes the catch-up game virtually impossible. For many people who have heard or read those stories, for them it's true, it's accurate, it's what they believe in, it's what they support, it's how they fight back against their political opponents, when in fact we're playing boogeyman sports and it's getting us absolutely nowhere in a hurry. You want to talk about it? We can do it. So, yeah, someone sent me some information that turns out to be just patently untrue. And I, I suppose for where I sit, I should probably take said info, give it a little bit more thought during the breaks and or make sure that I have another quick look around to ensure that it's accurate information that we're offering before I do or say anything else. Okay, a quick sports note. But this is important because this is about legislation. So it's August of 27th of last year. The, the opportunity for provinces, if they so choose, to regulate sports betting on single-game betting was now allowed by the, the federal government. You know, you always wonder about government's role in gambling. We'll talk about addictions, whether it be to uh, alcohol, drugs, tobacco, overeating, a variety of things. And seldom do we include gambling into that conversation, which we absolutely should. And governments, as we know, including in this province, have played an active role in the promotion of gambling. The most notorious uh, area that they point to here in this province, of course, is the VLTs and the intoxication offered by the whirs and the bings and the bongs and the lights. But with the advent of single-game betting, Canadians spend over $10 billion a year gambling. $10 billion. They also send about four, and that's unregulated uh, gambling right here in the country, they also send an, an additional $4 billion a year to be spent in the so-called gray market, the offshore websites, many of which run by criminal organizations. So the concept here is, if provinces choose to do so, they will allow for single-game betting. You know, prior to this, you couldn't bet on the Super Bowl or the Great Cup or Game 7 or the Stanley Cup, but now you can. It has really transformed how sports is being portrayed on television. Someone wrote me a note over the weekend, and it was the same observation that I'd made in the recent past, even just watching Hockey Night in Canada. There is a distinct promotion of gambling websites. And even on the sports highlight shows, they will make reference to what the odds were for one golfer to win, what team to win, whether or not the Jays would win the World Series, all these types of things, which was never part of the discussion in sports highlight shows. It was never part of Hockey Night in Canada, but now it is absolutely there front and center. So the big question for me to you, is it fair, righteous, just for governments to be so actively involved in promoting sports? The other side of that argument will be, well, they're making the bets anyway, right? So why don't we regulate it and enjoy the additional revenues as provinces if they're going to bet that money anyway? It's an easy thing to say, but it really does put governments in the spot where they are promoting actively gambling, which for many people in this country is problematic, you know, to drain them of uh, their finances and to break up families. And we will see what happens when gambling becomes an unmanageable addiction for folks. There's a fellow named Brian Egger. He's a gaming analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. He says the total sports gambling market in Canada, he says it's around $11 billion it will be this year. He expects it to double within five years. And the government is going to do what they can. Some provinces, certainly Ontario, all in, right? So if you want to talk about that. I think that's an interesting conversation that we can be having right here on this program. What do you think? All right.
So a lot of people still scoff at the concept of come home year, whether it be because of the pandemic and other major issues that need to be broached and dealt with by governments, but yet there's been a lot of attention and focus and some monies from municipalities to prepare for come home year. We talk about this a lot, you know, word of mouth inside of uh, tourism is a big deal. It'll be whether the people were nice and the food was good and the place was clean. And unfortunately for us, a lot of the uh, little nooks and crannies, and yes, the capital city, the furthest thing from clean and tidy. And I've given uh, Cornerbrook its kudos in the past for thinking a bit outside the box and trying to do more to encourage the citizens of the city to get involved in cleaning up, and they're doing it again. Bravo. Way to go. Whoever's idea this is, it's awesome. So they're encouraging residents to fill up a bag or two. Then, of course, you can just leave it by the roadside. City staff will pick it up. You're asked to call City Hall to enter yourself in to win uh, one of several cash prizes, ranging from $100 to $500. So they've got some designated dates for the big-time cleanups and the various areas that they're asking people to attend to. So it's unfortunate we have to encourage people and lure them in with the potential to win $100 or $500. But, you know, it's going to work. The last time they did it, where they put a secret X on the bottom of an old discarded coffee cup, apparently worked famously. So they're doing it again. Maybe every place in the province should maybe consider doing something similar. What do you think? Clean the place up. That's right. Let's get into the way the way government uh, spends our money. We still don't know a whole lot about what happened during the cyber attack in the Meditech system that was crashed by outside criminal influences, the hackers. We don't know, it's never been confirmed, if there was ransomware, a ransom demanded, whether or not it was paid or not. There's still a lot we don't know. There's going to be some 200,000 files were compromised. At one point, we thought the hack only went back to 2008. No, it goes all the way back to 1996. And in an effort to try to navigate the public relations world, the government signed a contract with the National Public Relations Group between them and the Newfoundland Labrador Center for Health Information. It costs us over $200,000 to be told nothing, or virtually nothing. They gave the heads up, and they put, set aside some $5 million for credit monitoring at Equifax. But we really don't have any details. And, you know, with the number of communications professionals from every department and at the executive council, you know, even if you wanted to say mum is the word, to come up with an internally crafted public relations message you know, I think it is a stark contrast to some other piece of business, like $5 million U.S. for Rothschild and Company, and we're not going to get any details. Well, as of yet, we've yet to see anything inside that report, including recommendations and all the potential nonsense surrounding commercial sensitivities. But again, those are the kinds of monies where people are really looking around and wondering, what are we doing? What are we doing? So I'm still going to press forward on the Rothschild and Company issue because if we don't have an on-the-floor debate case-by-case case in the House of Assembly, we're setting ourselves up for potential disaster. And this is with no unfair or undue criticism or questions being lobbied at any party at any level of government. But the fact of the matter is they don't have all the answers. And so when we have a real legitimate public debate, you never know what might seep into the minds and the hearts of decision makers that they think, you know what, that's an important thing that we must consider. But that's not going to happen if they keep it as close to the vest as they're currently doing it at this moment in time. And I still, I don't know, didn't get a lot of feedback over uh, the weekend or in my public circles about the story that was broken last week about the amount of money spent by public servants on taxpayer credit cards. I can't believe that's not the front and center story. So it's over a, a determined amount of time where members of the public service spent over $600,000 on their own needs and wants. 
One person got cash advances in excess of $130,000, and that person was the only person that lost their job. Others were disciplined internally, wages were garnished, and up and down the line. You know, a couple of things, whether it be the implementation of data analytics to make sure that the oversight is in place, or even just some simple things. Like there is no opportunity for a cash advance on a government tax-funded credit card. No such thing. So the temptation has now been removed because it's completely unavailable on your credit card. Is that something could be done? I would imagine. And then people are making the case, well, you know, what's the big deal? In large part, the money's been repaid. Yeah, but they had to get caught before they were asked or demanded the repayment. So if I walk out of Monty's store with a couple of items that I've shoplifted, if I'm caught outside and I give them back, I still stole them. You know, if I've committed any sort of fraud, criminal activity, but I repay the money, I still committed the act in the first place. So I don't know why anyone's gone to any great length to defend people who knew full well what they were doing with my credit card, your credit card, was absolutely not allowed, but yet they did it anyway. And it was extensive. $600,000 is nothing to sneeze at. Just imagine the person that went to the, the teller or the ATM or wherever they got the cash advance to the tune of $130,000 plus. The audacity is just disgraceful. Anyway, how are we doing on the phone to get her going on a Monday, Dave? All right, let's get it going. One more spend where I think it's a good idea is $10 million to establish a TV and film campus at the College of the North Atlantic for a variety of the skills that come with that particular industry, whether it be technical production, creation, post-production, production management, visual effects. Some hundred students already enrolled, and they have a swing space until they're fully set up for the next semester. There's a lot of good can come from this. And one of the people who was a driving force behind this is producer Paul Pope. Now, unfortunately, we've had to talk about an awful lot of really important members of the community who have passed recently, and Pope is no different. You know, the creation of NIFCO and his position of leadership at the, that film entity has been critically important. You know, you throw around words like icon and legend and titan of the industry, and where would we be without Paul Pope? It can't be overstated his importance to the TV and film industry in this province. The mentorship, the impact that he had and the influence that he had uh, nationwide, let alone here in the province, is absolutely a large part of the tale of the, succe the successes that we enjoy now. Paul recounts, you know, hitting a half million dollars worth of production at one point in the 90s. And then they hit a million dollars. The value of the industry now is well in excess of $100 million. And a well-trained crew and lots of people who have found their leg, found their opportunities, their first opportunities, under the leadership and, men and mentorship of Paul Pope. Hundreds of films, hundreds of people who have successes today in large part because of his presence, and his guidance, his leadership, and his knowledge of the business. It's easy enough to say that one person or another is a titan of industry or a legend or an icon and all the words that we throw around. And in passing, sometimes we inflate their CV and their impact. But I don't think you can even do that in the TV and film business when we talk about the loss of Paul Pope. The sense of humor, the camaraderie. I've worked a little bit with Paul. He was certainly a friend of mine. And I was shocked to hear that he had passed. Absolutely shocked in his early 60s. I don't know if anybody knows exactly what happened. I don't, and that's kind of beside the point. So for his family, his friends, his industry partners, our deepest condolences. If you met Pope, you never forgot Pope. A lot of good times with that guy. I got a lot of good advice and support from Mr. Pope. So from everyone here and what he meant, and if you're someone who had worked with Paul and would like to pass comments on 
your interactions and the importance of Mr. Pope in your career. We'll absolutely entertain that conversation today. Paul Pope, pastor of the weekend. Boy, oh boy. A quick sip of coffee, one second. All right. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is opaline at VOCM.com. And if you sent me an email over the weekend that you want me to see, we had a little glitch in the matrix, a little bit of a gremlin in the system. I didn't get all the emails that absolutely were sent to me over the weekend. So if you want to resend, I'll absolutely happily take a look when you resend that note this morning. All right, uh, let's get a taste of a tune going before we come back and speak with you. How are we doing on the phone, Dave? Haven't been looking at the screen. Let's get some calls on the move. It was the day in 1981 that the band Yes announced they were splitting up after 13 years together. They reunited a couple of years later, scored their biggest hit upon the reuni- reunited in 1984 with Owner of a Lonely Heart. When we come back, don't make me lonely. Don't go away. Well, welcome back to the show. Let's begin on the top of the board, line number one. Good morning, Raymond. You're on the air. Good morning, Raymond. Hi, Good morning, sir. Hi, yeah. Oh, yeah, all right. Uh, this Raymond in Carabineer. We have, uh, I'm going to throw some bouquets. Fire away, sir. Uh, Carabineer Fire Department. Victoria Fire Department and Sam McCall Fire Department and the RCMP and Carabineer Amos. We had bad fire here the Thursday night. I saw the pictures. It was unbelievable. And if people don't know the story, so it was right after supper Thursday evening, like 7 o'clock or so, that there was a fire started what used to be the old restaurant. I think it's called Coldwater Cafe now. And yeah. if you've ever been to, to Carboneer and can picture in your mind's eye what the, that part of, this, of the town looks like, it could have been way worse. It could have been completely flattened. That we, I live up top of me, uh, uh, Coldwater Cafe. Right? Oh. We got five, five families up here, right? Okay. And we got the, 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 then, then the people come, got me of departments, and got all the people of departments, right? Yeah, me next door neighbors come, got me, and took me out, and took me dog and me cat, and lucky we never got burned, right? right? Yeah, and another thing, too, we had four big old pork paint tank, yeah, tanks down there, propane tanks, and the fire department put cold water on that, and thank God nothing happened, right? Yeah, because like I say, the pictures that I saw and the aftermath, it's it's a wonder that it wasn't completely flattened. It reminded me of the, the big fire that we had here in the city in the early 90s where I thought mm-hmm. the entirety of Harvey Road, and if it had to jump across the street, it may have taken out the downtown yet again to repeat history. So it's exactly. really some great work done by the, the volunteer firefighters of uh, Victoria, Samakov, and Carboneer themselves. Mm-hmm. It's important that they have those relationships and partnerships ready to go when there's these potential big fires out there. That right, Paddy. Diakai fought terribly. Yep. Took big, big old bouquets and stuff, and and thank you for getting me on the, on the open line. Happy to have you on, Raymond. I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye bye. Let's right, go to line number two. Edward, you're on the air. Yes. Good morning, Patty. Uh, hope you're doing well after Easter weekend. Not too bad, thanks. How about you? Oh, uh, doing very good. Um, I uh, I just uh, want to make. Uh, a comment in gen I guess in general terms because uh I guess I shouldn't mention any particular business name on the air um but I I had an incident last week uh which brought this issue home to me uh, very very strongly 
I mean, uh, we all know that the price of food has escalated dramatically over the last, I'll say, six year, uh, six months to a year. We all know that. Every time you go to the supermarket, you can see an increase in, in many things. So uh, I had an incident with a local supermarket, which shall remain unnamed, but I'll probably give out enough information that people can draw their own conclusions. Uh, this particular supermarket, they're uh, a national uh, organization, although they go by different names in different provinces. But uh, in Newfoundland, uh, they're all the one, one uh, name. And I've come to realize that they have in my opinion, an extremely unfair pricing policy. I'll give you an example. This is the one that really got me uh, last week. My wife asked me to go to the supermarket and pick up a package of frozen blueberries. I don't know what she's going to do with them. That's not my, that's not my uh, <laughs> worry. So anyway, I went into the frozen uh, food section, and I found the blueberries. Not a problem. And right uh, on the shelf where the blueberries were located was a, a very lovely yellow sign that said, frozen blueberries, two packs for $9. Less than two packs, five ninety-nine. Now, Patty, I, I, I just think for a supermarket that re, they have to know that so many people are struggling to, to fill their grocery baskets, uh, especially people with low income. Now, I could afford to buy two bags of blueberries, but that's entirely not the issue. To me, the issue is this supermarket is coercing people to buy more product than they want in order to get a sale price. Now, uh, and that's not only on blueberries. Uh, this particular store has the same pricing policy on almost everything that they mark down. And I think it is just absolutely ridiculous. And I, let me tell you, I went and found the manager at that store who was seated comfortably in his office. And I expressed my opinion to him about, about this issue. And I know he can't change it. I, I, I fully realize that. And I wasn't attacking him personally, but the organization and their pricing policies, I certainly let him know how I felt about it. I think we're all feeling a little bit more additional pressure and stress when we go grocery shopping in particular, because what you describe is certainly not new. There's always been a cut price if you buy whatever the number is, you know, uh, buy two, get one, you know, if it's four ninety nine, but if you buy two, you get average price out at like four twenty five or something. This is not a new thing. But when we're all going to the flyers and going to the shop and looking at the prices and trying to do the best we can to get a bit of a deal, I don't need to 
two uh, cases of blueberries. I need one. So to right. get the deal to buy the second one, it's nothing new, but it has a different feel these days, doesn't it? It does. Certainly does. And, uh, Paddy, uh, I'll go out on limb without mentioning any names. I'll just say that they sell a lot of products in yellow yellow packaging. But I know other uh, other supermarkets here, they uh, they advertise they price things on the shelf they'll say two tins of beans for three dollars but if you only buy one you get it for half of the, the three dollars i see that all the time and that's fair game but to to put an item supposedly on sale only if you buy multiple quantities I think for a huge national company that makes billions of dollars, I think it's extremely, extremely unfair. And uh, the only way I think people need to to, uh, do what I did, go find the manager. You don't have to be rude or nasty to the manager, but you can certainly tell them how you feel. And as he said to me, he said, I will make sure that your comments are sent to the corporate office of this company. And I guess that's about all we can do. But I also told this manager that, look, I seldom shop at this store because of this very reason. And I said, I'll have to think twice whenever I'm looking for for food that I'm going to go in there and be extorted. In a, that's a strong word, but in my opinion, that's what it is. And uh, I think people need to, to speak up and put pressure on these stores to not be doing this outrageous practice, in my opinion. Edward, I'm glad you made the time for the show this morning, sir. Thank you very much. Okay. You're welcome. You have a great day. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, look, across North America, and again, this is a bit of a catch-all, but corporate profits are way up, and in many sectors of the economy, at 50-, 60-year highs. So while we hear a lot of crime poor mouth and, you know, looking for additional government supports and tax breaks and the like, what we've got is there's a distinct amount of greed always going to be part of the pricing schemes. It's just how things work. But we also have the political contribution. And what I mean by that is we are having an all-out debate about inflation like we should, even though I think the debate has been fatally flawed with how some people talk about it. But while the, the retailers know that there's a cost of living pressure, know that there's an inflationary pressure, and yes, there's supply chain interruptions, and that all contributes, but it hasn't interrupted and or impacted their bottom line. So they see that there's an easy way to hide behind inflation and global supply chain interruptions as a way to continue to increase the prices, to continue to increase the... Uh, profitability. Yes, I know there's an extreme price on fertilizer. Yes, I know there was a, a big drought here for many of the uh, grains that we produce in this country. Yes, I know that there's the breadbasket of Europe is partly covered by war at this moment in time. But we're also allowing them to run a bit footloose and fancy free because of some of the politics of all this as well. Let's go ahead and take a break. Don't go away. 
Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to the program. When we talk about Easter week, Easter week and the tumultuous nature of it back in April of 1916 in uh, in Ireland, the Easter Rising, also referred to as the Easter Rebellion. There's going to be a presentation surrounding these interesting, troubling times given by Michael Boyle at the Colonial Building. We'll see the details, hear the details when we say good morning to Michael on line three. Good morning, Michael. You're on the air. Yeah. Good morning, Patty. And it's always great, uh, the, you know, in this province that we have a great interest in the history and culture of, uh, you know, where we came from and the, the tremendous Irish. And we see it on March 17th, but I, I think there's a bit more depth to it, isn't it, uh, than just March 17th and George Street type of thing? You know, well, of are- course. You know, even though the island is predominantly English, there's still great pockets of Irish folks, thanks, thankfully, here in the province. So very quickly, before we get into how the presentation is going to roll today, Michael, would you rather play Patrick? Patrick Pierce or James Connolly? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd go for go for Pierce. Yeah, me go too. For, go for Pierce. Uh, Patty, what, what we have in mind, and I should mention, this is the BIS uh, that are sponsoring the event. And in fact, the proclamation today, uh, which takes about seven minutes uh, to read, uh, will be done by a member of the BIS. I think it's our president, Mr. Conroy. And uh, Mr. Conroy will be will be reading the proclamation, which was read back on Easter Monday, 1916, which is really the birthday birthday of the Irish uh, Irish nation. And um, as well as that, we have an attribute uh, since it's 1916. Uh, uh, that's a very special t- time for Newfoundland, isn't it? 1916. Mm-hmm. The members of the, the of the Newfoundland Re- and by the way, they were called the Newfoundland Regiment then. Newfoundland Regiment 1916. A lot of them lost their lives, and, and we thought that maybe an, an opportunity to um, pay tribute to them. So the event today is, uh, you know, it's inclusive. It's open to everybody. It's open to everybody. There'll be no speeches. Uh, there's no anthems, there's no parades, there's no well, the politicians are welcome, of course uh, you know, I suppose uh, but it, it's, it's that kind of a simple dignified event to remember, to remember this and um, uh, we've been doing this has been going on for a number of years the BIS are heavily involved with it this year uh, and um, uh, we thought it was important to, uh, as well as the March 17th dimension to Irishness uh, uh, which is uh, very, very well known the the uh, uh, when we think of the, the world situation today that small nations well look at R- Ukraine you know the, people are amazed at how they fight people on their own ground people on their own ground feeding, fighting for their own home their own place the place that they love I mean uh, and again you know with all kinds of empires Roman American and Russian empires British empires uh, people fighting for their own land uh, you know it's important and um, uh, we, we we won't have any speeches uh, we we will be um uh, remembering the people who who who, uh, who gave their lives uh, back in 1916, uh, and also remember the people, for example, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the, the peace in the Northern Ireland situation today. So we're 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 conscious of that. It's not a rebel rabble rousing kind of an event, uh, a dignified event, and it's uh, open to everybody. 
Yeah, and there was almost 500 people killed, if I remember my history correctly. The vast majority were citizens, uh, then then followed by the British, then followed by the, the Irish rebels themselves. Um, a couple of curious notes. Uh, the, the rebellion led to the 1918 election of the Sinn Féin party, yep. which is curious. And there's also our sister city in Ireland is Wexford, and that was the home of one of the key battles inside this uprising as well, just for a little bit of context for the city of St. John's residents. Okay, so how are you going to recount it? Are you going to give us a historical uh, recount of what happened, you know, uh, during that Easter week, or how's it going to look and feel? Uh, well, well, I think we're going to read the proclamation, w- w- sort of the ideals that Patrick Pierce were. Now, they sounded very grand and lofty, but uh, in a way, perhaps the Irish government has not really lived up to the ideals. The idea, I mean, w- when you think of, um, you know, uh, peace, freedom, dignity to all people, when you think of the LBG people, all kinds of people, uh, women's rights, this kind of struggle for women's rights, uh, the idea, you know, huge companies. There's the kind of things that we see today as we look around you know, the, the kind of more equality, uh, equality for people of different races, uh, respect for different languages, this kind of inclusiveness that, that I think is, it's, it's something that's still very important, um, resonates uh, even here uh, in Newfoundland and, and a kind of uh, a tolerance. So it's, it's not a kind of a, a celebration jump from the fence kind of thing. It's a, a recognition that we've still a long way to go in, in our society. But I think it's important to remember and we're going to remember all all the people who 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 died in this particular event, and I think that's unique because I don't think you'd find this in Ireland or many other places. This kind of uh, tolerance, uniqueness, uh, reaching out to somebody else who was of, who, who might be of a different opinion than you. It's a fascinating time in history. You know, add the troubles and you've got yourself a really rich, albeit very problematic history. And I asked you about uh, either Connolly or Pierce. Both of them uh, were subject to execution eventually, so it's not not much of a choice there between those two lads. Uh, What what time do you get her going today, Michael? Uh, We'll we'll start about 5 to 12, 5 to 12, and we'll start at 12 o'clock. It won't be a very long uh, uh, ceremony, but the the proclamation uh, is is a real highlight of of that. and, uh, you know, people can mill around and chat. But again, we're in COVID times still. So uh, a bit of a caution in the sense of, you know, we re- masks are recommended and, of course, social distancing, too, because we haven't had this event, uh, the BIS having a event for the last couple of years type of thing. That. But everybody is uh, welcome, uh, no matter what your political persuasion or whatever, uh, you know, or if you, or if you don't have any, uh, and uh, you're welcome to come along. And uh, it's... Um, it's kind of a traditional event that's sort of getting established in uh, Newfoundland. And did you, I don't think there's anything wrong in remembering, remembering those people uh, who passed on and, uh, you know, have a silent prayer at, uh, on a day like this. Yeah, so there was half a million people there of all denominations, the Catholic, the Protestants, the Jews and Presbyterians. <laughs> Michael? You, you, you might try to see you along there. <laughs> yeah, no, terrific. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. I'm glad that the walking tours are back on and for this presentation regarding the, the Easter Rising or the Easter Rebellion. Nice to speak with you this morning, Michael. Yeah, I appreciate, uh, appreciate your help and uh, all the help and VOCM uh, listeners. Uh, uh, and again, it's a, it's, a, it's a great privilege to be on your program with so many listeners. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Michael. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Bye. Michael Boyle presenting the proclamation of the Easter uprising. Anyway, let's take a break. When we come back, Gail wants to talk about the doctor shortage. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number four. Gail, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to comment on the doctor shortage. Sure. Um, I, I think that if the government would... Uh, 
put some incentives in there for the people coming at the university uh, that the doctors, the people coming coming at the university would stay around in our uh, in our province and not go to other provinces? Maybe. I find that to be a tricky one because, you know, uh, every graduate will be in high demand. So what kind of incentives we'd have to put in place becomes a different conversation regarding every clinic and every hospital. It's one thing to be able to work and train at the health sciences versus being a more isolated remote uh, remote community which might not be that attractive i guess depends on the incentive but i really don't know what that looks like that's why we've got to ensure that that recruitment plan is very detailed and varied depending on who we're trying to attract and to what part of the province because it's easy enough to say come work in newfoundland or labrador but there's a difference in working in a city or a town labrador or the islands you know what i mean yeah now something else too like uh, my doctor retired in 2018, and uh, my husband went to the, the clinic to see another doctor, and he was the only person left to see. And the receptionist came out and told him that uh, the doctor pedal wasn't taking no more uh, patients tonight, and he was the only one left to see. For me, that was pretty discriminating. And my husband don't go to a doctor unless he's very, very sick. It's not one of these people that runs to the doctor seven days a week, believe me. Yeah, I mean, the the level of compassion is required. If there's one person and one person only sitting in the waiting room that needs to be seen, it's. I know they're under a lot of pressure. I know they work long hours. I know they're trying to split their focus between their clinics and hospital privileges. But leaving just one person in the waiting room seems like a uh, pretty cold move. Yeah, it was indeed a very cold move. As I'm concerned, he should be removed from his practice to do what he did. And how is your husband? Pardon me? How is he? Oh, he's very good, but, you know, he is a bad diabetic. Mm-hmm. And he needed to be seen, so we ended up going to emergency. That's about three years ago now. Yeah, not good enough, is it? No, it's not. No, to me, it was very discriminating to see every patient and leave him out. It's sort of a strange thing to do. I mean, you can certainly check with your receptionist and know that there's only one more person here, and then yeah. that's enough for the doctor. Well, he so knew that. That's the he d- knew that. today's he did, a day. He had a number in mind that he was taking. That was it. Must be nice, yeah. albeit quite unfortunate. Yeah, it is very unfortunate. And I mean, say, you know, now fortunately now we do have a family doctor. After waiting three years for one, we finally got one in 2021, or 2020, I mean. So uh, we do have a family doctor now, fortunately. But, you know, my heart goes out to the people who don't have one. Me too. I mean, it's leading to some issues that we haven't fully thought through, whether it be uh, the emergency room clog up and or the symptoms worse. Next thing you know, you need a different level of care, much more serious uh, ailment that you once had, whether or not you could have seen your family doctor and nipped it in the bud. So there's a lot to these things, Gail. There's no doubt about it. Would you like to say anything else while we have you this morning? Uh, yes, uh, I'd like to speak on Dr. Mr. Haggy. Okay. Uh, I know he's doing, he did well with the pandemic and that, but I think that he should be removed with, and put into another portfolio. I agree with the Honorable um, David Brazel. I think that he should be put into another portfolio and put someone else fresh there with new ideas. I agree. I, I, pat, I have to pat the Honorable David Brazel on the back for what he said on the news last week. Yeah, I wonder what new ideas are out there that we haven't heard about. I'm happy to hear the new ideas. I'm just not so sure who has them at this moment in time, which is a sad state of affairs. Uh, Gail, I wish you and your family well. Thanks for your time this morning.
and thank you for having me on the air. You're welcome. Take care. Bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, let's go to line number one. Sean, you're on the air. Good morning, Patrick Daly. How are you this morning? Not too bad. Thanks for asking. How about you? Oh, really good. I just finished a nice long hike. It's a lovely morning out there. I recommend it to everybody who can. It's just so, so invigorating. But look, uh, you know, my grandfather, he was some, my step-grandfather, dad's father died when dad was only like 12. But, he, but his mother uh, remarried several years later, thank goodness, uh, Mr. Michael J. Downey of Cadre Valley. And he used to tell us all kinds of interesting things. But one thing that stuck out in my head as a very young boy growing up in Cornerbrook with him as, as our grandfather was, you know, the most uncommon thing in the world is common sense. So engage that first, you know. Sometimes the thing right in front of your nose is the thing we should go with. But uh, oftentimes we skirt around that and just keep looking elsewhere. And, and we engage all kinds of other things to make things happen. And uh, case in point, uh, I was driving down the, uh, the outer ring the other day, or last year, like last week early, uh, coming into town. Uh, and, um, and there was two big, you couldn't miss them, white garbage bags down in the center median. Of course, you know, I'd love to stop and get help, but there's nowhere to pull in and then get across that road safely. Mm -hmm. I don't have any lights on my vehicle. But just think how many vehicles belong to the city, belong to the province, pass along that bag, and it's so evident. I could see it. They could see it, like, up in their taller vehicles, trucks, and, and whatever else they're driving, and vans and everything. How much trouble would it be for the governments, the municipal governments, provincial governments, even the federal governments on our highways to say, look, if you've got a set of lights on your vehicle, put them on, pull in for a minute safely, grab that bag, and throw it aboard your vehicle, and the first chance you get, dispose of it in a proper container somewhere. How much trouble would that take? Because if that bag stays there, and finally with the weather conditions and, and animals and all that, or birds start picking away at it, it's going to be another mess that, like you said earlier, you know, we're going to have to put people out there to try and collect it all. And that's not as easy as it sounds, because all those particles and everything else are all spread over, over uh, Hell's Half Acre. So I'm going to recommend, and maybe you can echo this, because you guys always seem to do a great job of this, to recommend that, that all municipal councils, city, province, provincial, all levels of government, uh, who have lights on their vehicles who can stop safely and grab the bag, throw it in the back of their vehicle, and just take it to a proper disposal point along their way that day. And I think uh, we would have a much cleaner province, especially leading in the spring. But always, you know, I don't recommend individuals do it because they don't have, have proper protection on their vehicles and, you know, it could cause a serious accident. You wouldn't want to do that for the sake of a bag of garbage. But, but, but you know, those people, are they, they have their vehicles. It won't take but a minute. You know, and I think that's what we've had to institute starting today. And there should be a memo gone out to everyone who's driving one of these to say, look, if you just pull in, grab it, look, you'll do an immense amount of good. I would imagine what pops into some heads is uh, it's not my job, not my problem. But that just makes things worse. And I don't know if this is a matter of common sense. I think sometimes we've had job descriptions really completely rule the roost as opposed to, well, if I get it before the gulls do, maybe that's in all of our best interests, which seems to be kind of lost on folks these days. But anyway, I get, I get your point. So I hope they do. You know, it wouldn't take very much. I'm sure the unions would be in favor of it just to say, look, like, like, let's just work together on even this because our, like, if our area is all clean and our cities and towns are, are all lo looking so clean. It just seems to me it makes sense. Look, I was in Nova Scotia a couple of summers ago, traveling all over Nova Scotia, you know, over Lunenburg and, and other places. I don't see this kind of stuff in these places. And it seems to me that we, we, we've got to pull up our bootstraps. And I think the unions working with, with the government, it can't be that much of a big 
big deal. Just say, look, just just grab the bag, throw it in the back of your vehicle. We're proud people, but we don't seem to be very proud of place. You know, we take a lot of things for granted, and the the brilliant ads that we produce might not necessarily be reflective of some of the old grout that you find blown up against the fence or up in the tree or all over the trails or the parking lots. But anyway, the point taken this morning, Sean, I appreciate your contribution. Thanks Thank for the call. Thank you very much. Have a, one, one, have a wonderful week. Thank you, you do. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Let's take a break for the news. Appreciate the patience of those in the queue. A variety of topics for your consideration right after this. Don't go away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target. Weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And welcome back. Let's go to line number 6. Good morning, Jason. You're on the air. Hey, Patty. How are you today, my buddy? Great today. You? Uh, best going. Happy today. I just wanted to call, give a, a little update. I called in last week regarding Route 81 there in Markland, the uh, gravel road section. Anyway, uh, thanks for accepting my call last week and hearing me out on that uh, pretty warm topic we'll say we uh, we have been pretty high up in the canada's worst roads category but nevertheless uh, i want to say thanks for the department of transportation and works i know they hear me on here uh, told by so many that they do but anyway uh, apparently this morning they have a grader there to start the road and uh, hopefully they get managed to get the whole road done and uh, hopefully it's the start of uh, a maintenance program that they can keep up because uh, all of us people that live in there we uh, we appreciate it very very much, and uh, again, it's not the workers. The workers are doing the best they can. Um, they got very little to work with. So uh, kudos to all the guys for putting their effort forward. And I just want to say thank you. That's all. And uh, hopefully, I haven't got to call you back on this uh, topic again. Unless it's good news, and I will do that. I believe in uh, giving accolades to anyone who does a good job and calling out people for not doing a good job. I'm not. I can't judge anybody, but my opinion. Uh, I think I'm able to give that to a point. Oh, sure. And the, so people, the people operating the equipment are just giving their marching orders by the supervisor. So, you oh. know, they'll do what they're asked to do. So they put the grader over the road. That's what happened, is it? Yeah, the grader is there now apparently this morning. I'm not in there this morning. I had to run out to run some errands. But uh, anyway, uh, one of my friends that lives in there, she was uh, happy to give me a message, say, Jason, they're started on the other end of the road. And, uh, and you know. So hopefully, hopefully everything goes well. Hopefully they uh, get the road graded and everything will be safe to drive on, we'll say. Try to save our vehicles a little bit because uh, this day and age, <laughs> nothing is cheap, especially vehicle maintenance. That's a fact. Well, I'm glad they got a bit of work. Uh, well, they're starting a bit of work anyway, so that's the good news update this morning, Jason. I appreciate the time. Hey, no worries, and uh, keep up the good work, and I'll talk to you another time. Sounds Take good. Care. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. So a bit of work on the road. Good news for sure. Let's go to line number two. Dave, you're on the air. Hello. Hello there. Patty, have you got an update on that money you're supposed to come out for the low-income seniors? That depends what monies we're talking about. Well, there's supposed to be some come on the GST. And there's supposed to be some come from the federal government, too, I think. Yeah, there's a, for folks who are recipients of the Guaranteed Income Supplement, and you saw an increase in your net family income because of pandemic supports or otherwise, there's a a minimum one-time check of $500 coming out, and that comes out next week. Um, so that one's next week. And then the provincial numbers, if you're on the seniors' benefit, there's a 10% increase that moves it up from 1300 odd to 1444 Folks are on the income supplement will get $1,000 a year for families. So those are the few pots of monies that, that I'm aware of. So are one of those the ones you're uh, expecting? 
Yeah, uh, that GST, that didn't come into effect in July, will it? Uh, apparently so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, sir, thank you. No problem. Thank you. You're welcome, Dave. Take uh, care. Bye-bye. All right, let's go to line number five. James, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, Patty. How are you making up, buddy? Doing okay, you? Uh, COVID. <laughs> you have COVID uh, now? Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, my, well, my wife had it there last week, and, of course, I caught it off of her, right? So it has a positive, of course. Uh, well, basically, what I'm calling you this morning, buddy, um, uh, basically, well, I called in there maybe a couple of times before, and I noticed that uh, uh, we're a family of four. Uh, it's a four-year-old, seven-year-old, and me and my wife, of course. And uh, basically, well, we had a, a place where we're living to now is, is apparently being sold at uh, the end of this month, the 1st of May. And uh, the reason why I called in is just that because, like, uh, we've been looking around all over the place. I mean, we got our name in for housing the whole nine yards. It's just, uh, it's a bit disturbing to see the amount of money, the amount of rent uh, that they're putting up. Like, I've never seen this before. Like, in St. John's, it's absolutely crazy. Like, for a main floor, three-bedroom apartment. Now, three-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment, a main floor, $1,950. Like, how in the name of God can anybody, like, I mean, even if you do have good jobs, would want to pay that? Like, it's insane. Like, I mean, um, my wife is currently working now, and, uh, well, I'm still uh, I'm still home with my uh, four-year-old. Um, and this is what we've been trying to look around just because we know, like, I mean, he gave us enough notice, you know, like, I mean, it, it, to each his own. I mean, like, he's he's just, he's an older gentleman, he's in his seniors, and he just figures it's time for him to sell the house because he can't really keep it up on his own. And we're trying to help him out the best as we can, like, you know, a bit of maintenance and whatever, and, you know, is, is and it does it for, you know, it does it for nothing, basically, you know, just does it for free for him, just as, you know, a favor here and there or whatever. But it's just uh, the the amount of like the just the amount of rent that the people got to shell out in St. John's itself, and the reason why we stick around in here is because well both my sons are autistic uh, and ADHD as well, and when we tried to give uh, our four-year-old uh, medication for his ADHD, he actually went into into four seizures in seven days, and uh, this is why we had to stay close. Uh, to the hospitals, or I mean, if if we're in any any other kind of community, it has to be a hospital that's next to us, right? So basically, like we're uh, we're there, uh, just calling in as a concern because, like, uh, like I don't know if there's any kind of uh, you know oversight on this kind of stuff, right? Like, I mean, like it's 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 insane. Like uh, there isn't. I mean, it's a straight up supply demand. You know, the old saying is what what my house is worth is what someone is willing to pay for it. So we've seen a couple of things that have been put in place in the recent past. You know, even when we see what the Bank of Canada has done with their benchmark interest rate, that's made the stress test for getting or qualifying for a mortgage a little bit more difficult for individuals. And, you know, $1,900, you can get a whopping big mortgage, a pretty big shack for a $1,900 mortgage payment. Some people choose to rent for obvious reasons. But what kind of controls can be put in place? There's been suggestions over the years that we implement some fixed costs kind of stuff. And they put a ceiling on the amount of rent that could be charged, which is... It sounds good. It's a little bit impractical, I would think. There's all kinds of loopholes and wiggle rooms out of that. You can make something like a condo versus a rental unit and be not subjected to a fixed cost. So, you know, there's people making money on their properties. 
But I don't know where the solution lies because that's been the easy one that people say, well, let's just put a, a ceiling on any rent that can be charged for this kind of basement apartment, this kind of main floor, this kind of boarding room. But, yeah, it's also curtailing what should be the ability for someone to, you know, attract someone who's willing to pay that number. Now, that sounds like a huge amount of money for a three-bedroom, two-bathroom main floor apartment in excess of 1900 bucks, unattainable for most. Have you, I mean, are you looking, for someone who can pay that amount of money, and I mean, it's up to them what they do with their own money, but I always wonder why they don't see uh, home ownership as a, an option as opposed to paying into somebody else's equity position and ultimate profits that comes from home I, d I don't know yeah because like i mean yes it, it'd be great that i mean if we can afford to put a down payment say on a mortgage because i mean we obviously looked at that as well and i mean uh my current credit uh situation uh i wouldn't be able to afford it me me or my wife and uh th this is why we're basically in the situation that we are and of course the past two years has been uh like walking like through hell on earth and you know like it, it's just like if we could afford a mortgage i mean obviously i mean we we would go that route because uh, i would i would love to have a mortgage believe you me considering that like i mean the amount of money that you got to shell out is on real and like i mean we're paying around 1300 which is not bad uh, but like it just seems like you can't get anything like uh, like in regards to like a like a top floor or anything like that around in St. John's area or even Mount Pearl or Paradise is getting just as bad, right? So I mean that that's basically what I'm calling is just to just to see I guess if there's if there was any um, I don't know solutions. I, I don't even know what to say, Patty, because I, I just think this is absolutely ridiculous. I know everybody's out there trying to make a buck and stuff like this, especially in this in this uh, time and uh, what we're going through. But I just think that um, you know, with the, with the amount of housing and everything that's uh, unavailable, and uh, the people that are really struggling out there, and you know yourself, I mean, you you get call you get more calls about crisis than than you do basically with positive. And, like, I mean, you know, God love you and Dave for taking all the calls because, man, I'm telling you, like, you, basically it's a last resort. And, I mean, I just don't want to be using up and wasting your time or Dave's time or anything like that just to try You're to not. call in and see what's going on. It's just that just making people more aware and just to, just to really, really open people's eyes to see what is really going around here is is crazy. I mean, in order for them to basically rent out a top floor at that price, you'd have to have about four or five or six people in that place. I mean, we just we just seen a house that was went up uh, right across the road from us, and that's the only way that they can that they can do it. I mean, they got five people moving into a three bedroom house. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's crazy, right? But I mean, that, that's all basically I'm calling for, boys. Just uh, just let people out there, and it's just uh, if there was any um, help, I guess, like in regards to like if there was if anybody knows like uh, if there was any deals around town or whatever the case would be. I mean, you can surely you know let us know or whatever. But I mean, our names are put into uh, the housing and everything. It's just that we're getting kind of on the crunch there now, just trying to get everything packed and two boys and everything else. And uh, yeah, this, I mean that's that's about it, right? Well, I I feel your pain and I wish you well especially with your recovery from COVID and the quest for some healthy happy safe secure surroundings as the next rental unit James if anyone tells me anything I'll be happy to pass along to you yes awesome Patty listen man uh, thanks for taking my call and get out on Sunday because she's blistering out there now can't wait
Right on, man. All the best. Have a good day, Paddy. You too. Bye-bye. Uh, listener uh, sends along a tweet saying that Victoria, BC, $1,900 will get you a 550-square-foot, one-bedroom apartment. And, and look, th- and that's fair. Housing prices are up right across the country. I think the average is 18% in the last 12 months, which is a big one. And then you saw a moratorium on phone, foreign home ownership brought forward in the last federal budget. So there's going to be a ban. Now, foreigners can come and buy a home and live in it. They just can't buy a home and park their money and have it uh, vacant. So that has been an issue. But that issue, again, it gets exaggerated because it's a, a very convenient talking point politically. You know, it's right down that road of some of the immigration conversations that we have that are not necessarily uh, all fully inclusive of the actual facts of the matter. And some of it is just in an effort to demonize immigrants. But yeah, that was an important measure to take. But it's only one step. Because in the superheated markets in this country, Toronto, Calgary, Vancouver, foreign ownership of uninhabited or vacate, uh, vacant properties is 5%. So it's obviously not the be-all and end-all. And yes, the increase by the Bank of Canada last uh, last week, a half a point uh, in their benchmark rate, which nobody gets, not even the banks. It does mean that the stress test for mortgages is now a little bit more tolerable task for individuals as well. So anyway, lots of the price of house housing in this country. It's a huge political hot potato. Let's take a break. When we come back, Don wants to talk about public transit. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go. Line number three. Don, you're on the air. Yes, Paddy. First, I'd like to comment on that caller there. A couple of callers back was talking about getting uh, public employees to pick up garbage on the highway. Uh, I wish them well. Uh, My understanding here in the city of St. John's that from uh, I heard from some retired former employees in the city that there was almost a directive out there uh, for the city employees not to get involved, that the the city employees uh, reacted to complaints only. Now, I don't know if that's completely true, but certainly if you look at the culture in in our city of St. John's, that seems to be the culture down there that if you want anything fixed, you have to call the councillors or the mayor and, and file a formal complaint, and then it'll be acted upon. That could be true. I don't know what kind of directives are out there to be given on that front, but, you know, I... I don't even see the common sense behind that. You know, why react after the fact when, generally speaking, things are only worse or dirtier or messier or the gulls have ripped the bag open by the time someone makes a complaint versus I see it, and if, if it can be done safely, then to collect it. So I don't get the rationale. No, but I mean, you just look at the potholes. You look at the signs and the poles that are against the city ordinance. I mean, the employees drive by that every day, your councillors drive by that every day, and there's nothing ever done about it. It. And yet, you know, they're, they're breaking the laws out there. But anyway, that's not what I called for. What I called about was, there's a couple of weeks back, uh, you had a number of callers calling in, uh, objecting to the development of the oil field, new oil field there off Newfoundland. And uh, the, the argument, of course, is, you know, they're worried about the environment and the carbon footprint of, of us producing the oil. But instead of attacking the oil field, I mean, why don't they attack the problem, the root problem? And that's the use of uh, uh, of, the, of the oil, the, 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 the uh, gas guzzlers. You know, the, the big uh, pickup uh, trucks, uh, eight cylinders that are being driven around for pleasure. Uh, I mean, if, if you want to uh, stop this uh, waste of 
uh, carbon. I mean, get at the source. I mean, why don't they object to the building of private jets in Quebec? They do. Or object to the the building of, of these big, big uh, pickup trucks in Ontario. Why why they go after the oil field off Newfoundland? Because they're one and the same, because it's a life cycle conversation, and they absolutely do attack the uh, lack of public transportation, the big rigs that are on the road consuming so much fuel and all the emissions that go with it. Just for context, uh, in this country, the fossil fuel sector is the number one contributor to greenhouse gas emissions with 26%, transportation very close behind at 25%, but they do absolutely Absolutely, uh, attack all sides on that front. Well, it brings me to the point of why don't we have free bus transportation here in St. John's? I mean, I was watching the national news last night, and there was a councillor there from Victoria, and there's another chef there from Ottawa who were uh, promoting the idea of uh, free bus service in, in those cities. And the interesting comment I heard was somebody made that there's over a hundred cities in the world now where they have uh, free bus service. I mean, if we're talking about eliminating the use of unnecessary use of, of petroleum, I mean, wh- why, why don't we go with free transportation and put taxes on people who insist on driving their private vehicles around the city? Well, I don't know how you do that necessarily. You know, there's a concept, even though, like I said off the top of the show, this nonsense that was being shared that there's an additional tax on buying a pickup up to the to the tune of $4,000. The, uh, the origin of a green levy is back as old as 2007, and that was from the former Conservative government led by Prime Minister Stephen Harper. You know, there's got to be a way for exemptions to be granted because some people actually need a vehicle for work, including a truck. So if we had a real process set up where there was, additional encouragement to have a smaller, more efficient vehicle or a hybrid or an EV, of which there are in play, federal rebates and subsidies, same thing provincially. So some of these things are happening, but it's also an infrastructure issue, isn't it? You know, public transportation and, and what you're discussing here is only really a St. John's issue or surrounding, very tight surrounding metro regions. So it's, it's not exactly... You know, a, a catch-all where we will have a one-size-fits-all, a level playing field for all these different levels of taxation. No, we just got in. If, if the city said, well, we can't afford it. But all we do is increase the price of parking, put a tax on driveways, parking lots. Confederation Building provides free parking. Uh, the malls have free parking. Uh, put a tax on that. Put a municipality put a tax on and use those monies to finance the, the uh, more efficient uh, free bus transportation. Now, it may require for people coming in on a town that we're going to have to provide a uh, uh, parking space somewhere at the edge of the city that they could park their vehicles and then pick up the local transportation and for a fee, they get to park their car and they get a free St. John's uh, bus pass. But every taxpayer in St. John's, uh, property taxpayer or renter or uh, boarder, sh- should, should be issued a, a free bus pass to go anywhere in the city. I wonder what, that, what would uh, the result be for the transfer from the city and or Partners of Paradise, Mount Pearl, or what have you, for operators at uh, Metrobus and for the Go Bus. Right now, boy, I was, I was going to say it's about $7 million a year for Metrobus alone. I wonder what that number would be if we took all the revenue out of the ridership. And, and you know, there's also the whole concept of means testing stuff. Not everybody needs it. You know, for people who need it, and I think there's, you know, an encouraging program for folks on income 
support of low-income people here in the city. You know, there's a $1.9 million transferred from the province to the city of St. John's, even though they say the program with the extension for people who are now going to be eligible for these bus passes, they need $2.1 million, which I think is ongoing negotiations. But not everybody outside of those groups, whether it be people on income support, low-income workers, seniors, not everybody else actually needs something for free, which is, I think, where we trip ourselves up sometimes, is that we'll make it, uh, it's, it's something for everybody, when it's the same thing about talking about university education. You know, free education is a gift to the rich, as opposed to we have a serious look at who actually needs the support, giving those people the support, those who could pay should pay. So that's where my mind generally goes on these types of topics. Anyway, there's some food for thought for people if they really want to uh, worry about the climate. Uh, let's go to the more efficient uh, bus transportation and, uh, and we'll save those carbon gases. I appreciate the thought, uh, the food for thought, and the time. Thanks, Don. Bye. All the best. Uh, will I take another one before we go or stay on break? Uh, stay on cue. Uh, let's see here. When we come back, uh, we've got a bunch of different topics, but we want to talk about whatever's on your mind as well. Don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back. Let's try line number one. Good morning, Linda. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you today? Doing okay, thanks. How about you? Oh, good. I'm doing good. Beautiful day again. Well, not again, but a beautiful day. <laughs> That's right. We'll go with a beautiful day. <laughs> yeah, we'll stop there. Um, I just left, uh, say, Southlands area and just driving out the highway here now, and the garbage on the Piss Memorial Drive is unreal. It's it's embarrassing. It is. For anybody that comes into town, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and everywhere you go... And, I mean, I know it's only early, it's April, but I mean, we've had some beautiful weather in the last couple of months, as well as some bad stuff, but I, it, they just start to clean up so late here, I, I don't know why. Like, this, this should have been cleaned up by now. I don't really know why. They might have some thought about trying to time it with when more of the traveling season is upon us, but it does require the city and the province to join forces, figure it out, try to recruit some staff from both entities, and then get some volunteers to go out and do it. It does take a while. It will annoy some of the traveling public, even though there's lots of ways to uh, avoid the outer ring road and still get where you're going around here. So I don't know why it's not done. And every time someone brings it up, I remember quite distinctly picking up a few you and my buddies that were coming for a visit, guys I lived with and worked with in Jasper, we had just hit the Outer Ring Road coming out of the airport, headed to my home, which is about 15-minute drive. We weren't we weren't two minutes down the Outer Ring Road before one of them piped up in the back. Look at the garbage in the median. I will never yep. forget it. I was like, yep. man, oh, man. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll tell you, 30 years ago, I lived in Halifax and for a couple of years. And I remember the first year when I was gone, uh, it was in the spring, and it was just so beautiful up there, so clean. It was like, you know, it was just beautiful. And I came home here in, I think, like May month, and I could, could not believe the garbage everywhere in the city, like just littered, place was just littered. I couldn't believe it, you know, and I was thinking, like, why isn't this cleaned up yet? It's, you know, and that was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and they, had people, they had volunteers going, they had, well, actually, they had people hired I, I, I don't know, you know, the city or the province or whatever, but they have people hire going around picking up stuff around the city and around the sides of the roads and stuff like that. You know, why do we why do we always have to wait for volunteers to do everything? I mean, I'm sure we should do our part, certainly around our, our own house and stuff like that, but, you know, it's, it's just so late, you know. 
getting on the go here. It was so behind the times. Sometimes, yeah, Some neighbourhoods do a really great job, right? They've got a close-knit uh, neighbourhood and they will join forces and maybe call St. John's Clean and Beautiful and get some support there and get some garbage picked up and some bags mm-hmm. and gloves. Fair enough. Yeah. But we have parts of the city that doesn't get much in the way of attention. I brought up the fact what they're doing again this year out in Cornerbrook. You know, it's a shame that we have to entice people with money, but that works. There's nothing proven more, much more than the fact that people like money. So a couple of years ago, they put a little X on the bottom of a few old coffee cups, and you, you found them, and you brought them to City Hall. You got 100 bucks. Right. So this year, they've got another similar program in place, and it's probably going to work. You know, because people yeah. want to be proud of where they live, and they want the chance to maybe win $100 or $500. We've got to do a little bit more. And I don't think I'm wrong in saying that when a visitor comes, the top three things on the list are what the people were like, what the food was like, and how dirty the place was. It's the, it's the first three things that I notice when that's I travel anywhere. Going, that's the thing they're going to remember. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you go if you go on a holiday somewhere and you go into a city and there's garbage everywhere, well, you're going to notice. Okay, well, I'll do a little comparison now to me. Like I've been to Cuba several times and Dominican several times. When I get off the plane in, in Cuba and go to the resort, it's beautiful, clean, beautiful. When I get off the plane in Dominican and go to the resort, I, I, I notice the garbage. There's a fair bit of garbage around, littered. And I notice that. Oh, yeah, everybody does. You know, so wherever you go, you're going to notice garbage. You know, it's because, it's, you know, it shouldn't be there. It's, it's, it's in a place where it shouldn't be. Yeah, and some people think that this is, you know, oh, my God, there's so many more important things. Yeah, probably, but it's one of those issues where I think it has a bigger impact and a ripple effect than we give it credit for. Absolutely, especially for tourism, absolutely. I'm not going back to anywhere that I thought was rotten dirty. Right. I'm not going to visit somewhere where that my initial impression was, my God, this place is filthy. That's not up on my uh, bucket list absolutely. anymore. Absolutely. So many more places close by that's not dirty filthy, you know. Yep. It's clean and not littered. Okay, I just hopefully, you know, that they'll get something on the go sooner rather than later. I just find that every year it's so late getting on the go that, I mean, you know, it's, it's you know the weather is nice for two, three months before, okay, the litter is picked up in the sides of the roads. And, you know, it paces like that, you know. Like, you know, you pick up around your own house in your own neighborhood and you go out for a walk on the trail. You, you know, you, you pick up a cup and throw it in the garbage can or something like that. But, you know, in the, in the mediums and the main highways and roads and, you know, just terrible. That it is, unfortunately so. Linda, I appreciate the time. Thank you. Have a good day, Patty. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Yep. Uh, now, sometimes, like you see, they're award winners of uh, Clean and Tidy or is it Tidy Towns. And bravo. You know, that's a clear display of the pride of place that people have in one town or another. Let's go to line number five. Lee, you're on the air. Yeah, good morning, Patty. Morning to you. Yeah, uh, I'm under recycling. Like, Everybody is down on the individuals, like Danny Breen and uh, Durham Flynn, and uh, trying to get people to do more recycling. I know that's important. Businesses are trying to do their part, but nobody's after these big companies to get the bin dupe. I've watched them five times now. Come pick up the garbage, dump it, move over, and dump the cardboard in the same truck. Now, I don't think, I don't think the truck is at all, all the attack that separates the cardboard from the garbage. No, and, you know, wherever they make their final dump, I don't know if there's any sorting uh, that goes on there, but it's a fair observation. You know, we'll see all sorts of campaigns to encourage reducing and reusing and recycling. 
But yep. the big operators, whether it be big businesses or otherwise, yep. they should have a really strict commitment to doing exactly the same because the yep. contribution they make to waste is certainly a bigger footprint than mine or yours in our homes. So absolutely, you're you're 100% right. Yeah, that, that was a GFL. But now, here in this uh, in this office, I will say, there's a real big attention to recycling, sorting out the cardboard from the paper, from the newspapers, from plastic bottles or wherever else. They really pay attention to it in the shop. This business, got, they got uh, two dumpsters. They're six feet square and seven feet high. So you're talking about pretty close to a ton of cardboard. And they break down the boxes. I know. I, I've seen, it was, seen them do it. And the back, and they're being full when they come to the But well, no, nobody, I guess, if you have money, multi-million dollar companies can get away with everything. Well, that's, you know, I mean, it's interesting how you put it, because to encourage more recycling here in the city, where there was a pretty woeful uptake, and it's not just about being some environmental activist. There's actually a cost associated with it. The tipping fees for garbage at Robin Hood Bay is vastly different than recyclables. So there's an upside financially to the taxpaying public here in the city of St. John's. So what they did was they brought in the clear bag, right? You have to put your garbage yep. in a clear bag. You're allowed one right. opaque or blackened out privacy bag, and that's the way it should be absolutely and what apparently it's resulted in is there's now more people recycling which is going to save us money and is the right thing to do you know even though we should be pardon me reducing before we even worry about recycling in the world of the three r's but yeah and for the big companies there's an upside for them too right and you know it's the whole concept of you know what you can get away with but the city's going to open up my black bin at some point and see whether or not i'm playing by the rules are they doing that to the big companies with the big dumpsters of santa care boxes out there i don't think so i don't think so either nope because uh at one point i was there with the former owner of the business and i mentioned it to him he said yeah they do that a lot and he had that business for 12 years so it's not like the truck broke down No, and the other good one, I, I didn't even know if this is what you said originally, but you got the two dumpsters side by side, one for garbage, one for cardboard. The same truck picks it up, dumps it in the same bed, goes right to the same yeah. spot, and maybe nobody's sorting on the other end. Uh, well, I don't know if they are or not, but it I, seems I unlikely. I doubt it very much because uh, if you put something out, for example, now you put something in your clear bag and not supposed to be there, they'll put a tag on it and won't take it. Yep. So... The individual being dinged, but the big companies are not. And it's time to get get them on the go. Recycle. Yeah, I mean, I maybe it's driven because my children were so attentive to recycling in our household. We've never had a problem with it, and we separated it out uh, all the time and used the, the bags as they were intended to be used, and hopefully that's the right thing to do. A uh, quick question. This is not exactly what we're talking about. And I'm kind of torn what I think about this one in particular. Recycling day in my neighborhood, the same fella who looks like he's a retiree. I'm not trying to judge the book by the cover, but he looks like he's probably a retiree. Brand new expensive SUV under him. He's going around taking the recyclables. I, I've, every now and then I feel like saying, will you leave that stuff alone, right? Because he just obviously goes over to the Evergreen Depot or something and cashes it in for himself and plays for his trip down to Florida or something. What do you think when people oh. are at that? Now, if it's someone who's wheeling around with a cart and you can tell they're doing that to be industrious, they're doing that to keep the wolf away from the door, that's one thing. Quite another thing when you got a fellow with an $80,000 SUV who's taking everybody's recycling. What do you think of that when you see it? 
Well, I don't think they should be done, but if you've got a bag, like we we put, take ours down to the Green Depot ourselves, but you should keep them and uh, find some of these fellows that are going around and uh, tell them you got bags and drop them off to them wherever they are. You know, I've seen a lot of people do that too, because uh, it goes up to recycle yep. and just gets crushed. And I don't know if he even gets a refund on them. Job to say. Lee, I'm glad you made time for the show this morning. Thanks for the call. Oh, you're welcome. All the best. Yeah. Okay, bye-bye. Right, There's someone who wants to respond to Lee after the break, and then we're talking about old age security. And then, of course, the topics are endless. You pick one, get in the queue on the air, and we'll talk. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number two. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Hello. Is that me? Yes, that's you. Okay. First, three points. Patty, I think you do a wonderful job. You are respectful. You're intelligent. You do your research, and you are so patient. I am very impressed, very impressed. Secondly, regarding the litter on the highway, the streets, and so on, whose responsibility is that? That is the people who throw it out there. Absolutely. It belongs to the – if you have garbage, it's your responsibility to put it where it should go, not throw it out your window in the car, not throw it out on the highway, not throw it on your sidewalk. I've lived in many places and I have never seen people litter so much as they do in Newfoundland and Labrador, and it seems to be worse in the cities than in the country, in the outports. They seem to be much more responsible. But it's it's not the city's job, it's not the uh, paying people's job to pick it up, it's our own job to pick up after ourselves and not throw it out there in the first place. Whether it's from your car window or for whether it's when you walk along the street with a coffee, whatever. It's if you've got garbage in your house, I'm sorry, in your hand, in your car, it's your job to put it in the garbage where it belongs. That's number one point. But let me respond to number one because I cannot wrap my mind around being able to sit in a vehicle, for instance, finish off my bit of takeout, and then roll down the window and throw the bag out. Like, I wouldn't even be able to bring myself to that. It's a matter of pride. It's really quite something. And it's a matter of personal pride of the person involved and the city and the town and wherever. I can't imagine it either, Patty. I was... I used to walk around with a piece of gum in my pocket uh, and walk for a long time to find a garbage thing. I would never think of throwing it down on the ground. Uh, The second point is that we talk about the big difficulty of finding a doctor and a nurse. Well, a whole lot of that problem is our own fault by having very poor eating and drinking habits. That we, a lot of people have disease and all kinds of things that they can't help. But there are many people who cause a lot of their own sickness, and they they don't take care of their own brushing their teeth. They don't care of personal cleanliness. They don't care about eating and drinking and buying properly and economically. It's just a bunch of junk going in, a bunch of junk coming out. And the doctors and nurses are not in charge of making us healthy. We're in charge of that. Our own bodies are our own responsibilities. I find that one to be a slightly more complicated issue uh, because there are certain parts of the province, for instance, where it becomes an affordability issue. Like if you've ever seen a picture of a price tag 
on a bit of ground beef or a, a full chicken or something in Labrador, it becomes prohibitive. There's an access issue and affordability issue in certain parts of the province, but by and large, point taken, um, we are responsible largely, if not in full, for our own health. There's things that the most healthy people in the world can indeed be afflicted with one ailment or another. So oh, I understand yeah. your point in full. Yeah. I just want to make one more point on the on the litter business. I've, I'm astounded when what you said is right. You know, it shouldn't have been thrown out in the first place. But then someone's trying to tell me that it's the companies that we've discarded their product, whether it be, and I hate to use one company or another, but the notables. Uh-huh. Tim Hortons or McDonald's, okay? Yeah. So yeah. when their stuff is on the ground, it's not their fault. They didn't give you a coffee cup to, uh, intended to be thrown on the ground. That's so right. let's stop That's blaming right. them. That's right. But on that front, when they have receptacles, whether it be outside a gas station or their restaurant mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. or up on Signal Hill or Cape mm-hmm. Spear, mm-hmm. it's one thing to offer the bin, quite another to empty the bin. That's exactly right. That's another. That's where the city's job comes in. It, their job is to keep those things empty. You're absolutely right. I see that all the time. But back to the food and the sure. the, the economics of cooking. Uh, I've traveled around a lot, and beans and rice are cheap, and they are easy to cook, and you can add other things to them to make them taste good. And but people buy a bunch of junk that's been processed. It's, you're paying for stuff in boxes. You're paying for stuff in plastic uh, bottles. Water is cheap. Water is healthy. Uh, there's no need to drink pop. There's no need to drink all those things. Uh, water is cheap. If you want to put a little fresh root juice in it, like you can make it taste good or some soda water. But as far as food... I don't know why people have not learned to buy and cook economically. As I said, beans and rice form the basis of many diets all over the world, in the poorest parts of the world. They're healthy. They're cheap. You can add stuff to them to make them taste a little bit more interesting. But I think those are the basics that a lot of people need to start thinking about when they go shopping and to buy actual food instead of boxes and containers and water that's already sweetened, I think that would save people a lot of money of their hard-earned money that they don't have in the first place. You know, some chefs that are friends of mine, they will say that that's a matter of education because if you give people a bit more knowledge about what they're looking at in the grocery store, a few tips about how they can save, a few tips about how the nutritional value can be increased, uh, all the while having something tasty to eat, some people all they need is a bit of information. You know, I was lucky enough to be on the receiving end of some of those tips from these guys, and it's been very helpful to me. So I think sometimes, you know, we get into these uh, routines or ruts, don't we? And so the way that I eat and the menus that I prepare and the shopping that I do, I do it very much similarly every time I go to the shop until there's that first impetus to change that comes with a bit of helpful tips as opposed to you're doing it all wrong, as opposed to you want a tasty dish that you probably haven't tried before, try this. Next thing you know, they have a different focus when they walk in the grocery store. Yes, absolutely. And that doesn't have to come from your parents. I mean, I I didn't have lessons on what to cook and what not to cook and what not to throw down. It was a matter of example. But also just asking questions if you notice you're getting gaining weight you know just ask questions about to people how do you stay so slender what you know just ask some questions of people who are doing what you want to look like or or taste like or be like or save your money there are many ways to do this and uh, just a few simple questions to the simple people around the street or wherever will help that i don't think and then it would probably not have to have hurt to have some of that information taught in schools about 
healthy diets and, sure. and what to buy and how to economically shop. Maybe that needs to be done in some of the schools and some courses. But uh, also, I think you just, as a person, you can look around and say, well, what am I doing wrong that makes me feel like this or look like this or spend money like this? Uh, there are answers everywhere. And I think the basics, just look at the basics and not go in for all the advertisements. Ignore all of that stuff and think, what am I putting in my body? What am I drinking? Sure. What well, let me say this, is that I am in no position to lecture anybody on this front. I am sporting a bit more of a front porch than I should be. <laughs> so I know that it's important to ask the questions of yourself, quite another to take the answers if you're being honest with yourself and change your behavior, because that's the most difficult thing in this world. You know, when you talk about active living, the first and the hardest step, or pardon me, the hardest step is the first one. Mm -hmm. Same thing with changing your tune to your diet or your intake of alcohol or tobacco, whatever the case may be. You can acknowledge it and understand it, but then is the most tricky part, yet the most important part is to do something about it. So let for the listeners, especially those who know me, don't pretend that I'm sitting here lecturing you because I'm in no position to do so. Yep. I need to do better. I acknowledge it up front. I make an incremental change, and hopefully that gets me where I need to be. Well, it's a matter of choice, isn't it, Patty? Uh, the personal choice is just, do I want to continue looking like this or feeling like this, or what do I want to do about it? And it only takes a few steps. You don't have to do it all in one day, all in one mile, all in one kilometer. It's just cut it down bit by bit. Or the other thing is just stop it altogether. I've done both. So I've learned, too, as I've experienced life and watched other people in other places. But as you say, you travel around, you see some places are really clean and tidy. That's not by magic. That's not by the city picking up everything. So there are things that we can, very simple things, we can do our own selves step by step, day by day. If you want to lose weight, just cut down a little bit or just say, I'm not going to eat this anymore. I'm not going to drink this anymore. Try them. See what works. Thank you. Good to have you on the show. Appreciate your time. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, look, I got it. I do... Take it for what it's worth. It's easy enough for me to say that uh, you need to X, Y, or Z, but make no mistake, I'm also saying it to myself because I absolutely need to do better on that front. I'm not getting any younger. And with age comes a little bit more difficulty with changing your behaviors. I do sneak in a walk most every single day. Maybe that gives me some sort of default backup in my mind that I'm doing okay when, in fact, I could be doing a bit more. That walk could be a little bit longer. It could be a bit more brisk. I could maybe you know, decrease the portions on my plate. I could absolutely decrease the number of fingers uh, that are compo composed my uh, my drink or something. So, yeah, I got, you know, we all have to do a little bit better, or most of us anyway. Let's go ahead and take a break for the news. When we come back, lots of time left to speak with you. Don't go away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that happening now it's all on the table during your vocm lunch break welcome back to the show let's go line number two bill you're on the air how are you today patty doing great sir how you doing good good i just want to talk about the garbage there alongside the road i drive back and forth across the land all the time and it is kind of ridiculous all the garbage around but when i used to drive into the state i noticed down there and i don't know why we can't do it up here that they uh 
people that were in jail, if they were doing uh, two years less today, they were put out on like chain gangs and they were the ones that cleaned up the garbage. And uh, the thing is that he should do it here because they're only sitting in jail doing nothing. We're paying for their food, their clothing and everything like that. At least they should get a program on the go and get some of them out and help clean up our province. It's not like it's not done elsewhere. That's one thing I will say. Now, of course, it could only be the non-violent offenders. It does come with an associated cost of guards that would have to be there monitoring their work. I know it's done in other parts of Canada because I've seen it with my own two eyes. When we lived in Hinton, Alberta, there would be these prisoners would come from the prison down in Grand Cache, and they would be cleaning up uh, in the woods alongside the golf course, for instance, which, of course, was alongside the highway. So I guess it was a cleanup of various parts of the town. So it does happen but it does cost money yeah well like this lady that was on her just before i got on she was saying why don't you pay someone to go pick it up why go first and pay somebody when you can take a bit of money and take the prisoners out to do it right i've also seen uh as examples of community service you don't get sentenced to prison time but you get x number of hours of community service where they provide that service whether it be wiping off graffiti or what have you, they should absolutely and could absolutely be part of a designated program that comes with some cleanup duties. It's something we really need. And again, we're not reinventing the wheel. No, no, that's great. That's great. I know, like, I was down in Wyoming one time and uh, to an accident, a tractor-trailer accident, I was picking up what was in the trailer. And that's what I had to wait for was prisoners that were doing two years less a day. They would come out and unload the truck to load it in the buy truck. And the guard was telling me they get, for 12 guys, they get one can of coffee a month to go around. But uh, down there in the state, they pay them a dollar a day. And so much of that goes towards their uh, incarceration for help pay for their meals and all clothes and whatever is left over put into a little bank account for them when they get out after their two years or less a day for uh, a little bit of pocket money for when they first get out, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's part of it, but I, I tell you, after all the years I've sat in this chair, every single spring, we have the same thought that maybe, just maybe, folks who have committed a crime are doing the time, and you know, the whole thing about idle hands is the devil's playground, giving them something to do might be very welcome for some of the lads who are sitting down at HMP right this moment in time, and also would have a benefit to the community at large. So oh, I completely sure. get the uh, the concept. Yeah, that would be a good idea, though, right? Uh, I just, well, like I said, I've seen it everywhere else, and you've seen it yourself, so I can't see why our government can't come up with a plan and do something like that for this province, because it is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I've watched cars in front of me go down the road, and somebody throw something out the back window on the road. It feels like just going up and chasing them and shaking them. What are you doing, right? Sort of deal, but... Uh, well, we got to come up with some idea to keep, keep our province clean. Everybody enjoys Newfoundland and come home here this year. And, uh, you know, we don't want everybody coming in and seeing garbage all over the place, right? Absolutely. And I think the caller previous uh, makes the ultimate point is that we've just got to be a little bit more respectful of where we live. You know, we've just got to stop. Just, you know, you finish your last gulp of coffee, down goes the cup right on the ground. It's hard to believe that people even get on like that, but they do, quite obviously, because all you have to do is walk around and see the number of cups. And look, if you're a truck owner, throwing the cup or whatever in the bed of your truck is not put in the garbage because driving down the outer ring road, that inevitably blows out of the truck. So. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I know, but no, no that's right. People got to have more respect for the place. Everybody says they love Newfoundland, but they don't show it. They just try to show it. I might, about it, you know? I might do a lot of things uh, that I shouldn't be doing, but one thing I don't do is let it because it just drives me nuts. 
Oh, no, me either. I got a I carry a garbage bag in my truck. When that gets full, I stop for fuel. There's a garbage can right there, and it goes right in the garbage can, right? Easy enough I to do. No use for that. Yeah, oh, for sure. And anyway, Patty, you have a great day. I just want to put that suggestion out there, see if someone could do something about that, like get her a prisoner or thing. Doing the, doing the community service or whatever they can to pick up garbage treats might get cleaned up in this disaster. Appreciate the time this morning, Bill. Thanks for the call. You too. Bye-bye. I wonder, has there ever been an actual cost analysis done? Because a nonviolent offender who would probably like to have something to do to make the time go a little bit quicker and a bit of fresh air, as opposed to just wandering around the cell block all day with a little bit of your airtime, has there ever been an evaluation done at the Department of Justice and Public Safety just to see what it might cost, how many people might be eligible for it, and maybe those who have been given some community service as part of their sentence and they don't go to prison? You know, there's probably things we can do, and it's a very popular sentiment every time we get to this time of year because when the snow recedes, you very quickly see what winter has borne, and it's quite a mess. It, in addition to that... When the snow goes away and you see the amount of doggy dew that is on the ground, it's also a pretty clear indication that, you know, when people can see it and when they notice whether or not you've picked up after your dog, then it's one thing in the spring and summer months in the fall, but maybe not the same attention to it in the winter. Well, obviously not in the park around my house. Let's go to line number one. Travis, you're on the air. Can you hear me, Patty? I can hear you. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'd like to weigh in on the old recycling uh, conversation you're having there. Sure. But, you know, uh, I, I was surprised to hear that it's only recently that uh, the city of St. John's has have been doing the blue bag, clear bag, uh, uh, you know, uh, procedure w w with the waste. But we've been doing it out here on the West Coast for like three years by now, yeah. And uh, it's uh, it's so easy. Uh, I put out very little waste that goes to the landfill now. Um, we have a blue bag. We put the recyclables in there. My boy, he's 10 years old. He's into it. He sorts it all out. His bank account is getting really good by these days because of my friends and my family, you know, the, the refundables. Uh, but it's so easy uh, to do, and it cuts down on so much stuff that goes into the, to the landfills. Um, I have one of those backyard composters. You know what I'm talking about? I do so. Yeah, those things are great. Uh, it's like the size of a oil barrel or something like that. And uh, all the peels from melons, pineapples, potatoes, carrots, turnips goes in there. And, uh, hey, we, we put up very little garbage now that goes into the landfill. And uh, everybody should get behind this. What's your thoughts? Composting, uh, I, we don't. We probably should. The thought that some people have in uh, hesitation to be composting is rodents. But some of the modern-day compost bins, the way they're structured, is quite clearly not an attraction for rodents. So I've maybe used that as an excuse in my mind for in years gone by. But we have never composted, and we probably should. 
Well, I'll tell you about those uh, backyard composters, those black things. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. Uh, people say, oh, it, it smells, and it, it attracts rodents. I've had it for three years. And just outside my house, it's not very far away because there's no point in putting it, you know, 30 yards away because you're never going to use it, Dan, right? Uh, it's there. I mean, if you open the lid and stick your head in there, okay, you're going to smell rotting vegetables. But uh, th- there is no uh, smell from the thing. It's right there next to my deck. Sun bakes down on this thing. And, uh, and I've been putting stuff in there now for, I would say, almost three years. And it's still only partly full. You know, it's just like an endless. It, it, it's not like, oh, we're going to fill that up. Uh, that thing works great. Uh, my boy is really into this reusing recycling uh hey his bank account's looking good because we collect it from friends and families so we, uh, he sorts them uh hey let, let's do it boys we, sh- we should all be doing this to keep the stuff at a landfill i put out like one bag every week maybe of uh, actually stuff that gets buried into the landfill so you know we all do a little bit Absolutely, 100%. I suppose it's something maybe I should uh, bang about with the family today about whether or not this summer is the summer that we begin to do some composting. And, you know, you mentioned rodents. I was out in the backyard, and it was just amazing. I probably didn't clean up my property the way I should have in the fall, so I had a bit of yard work to do on Friday when it was so nice out. You know, picking up the branches from the winter storm was one thing. I didn't realize just how many were on the ground until I went at it. And then a few pockets of the last few leaves that fell that didn't get raked up so I was at that and I heard a little rustling in this little pile of leaves over in the flower garden and I'm thinking to myself if that's a rat I'm out of here and it was just a couple of little uh, dove keys in rustling around the leaves so a little couple of bull birds as opposed to a big rat which I was quite thankful when I saw it was a bird versus a rodent uh, appreciate the time this morning Travis anything else you'd like to say yeah I, I do have another uh, topic I'd like to talk about okay uh, I, I, I've called in before, and we uh, had a chat about this uh, briefly, about the, the spread of disinformation on social media. Uh, a totally different topic. Uh, but uh, I have some thoughts on that, if you'd like to hear it. Okay, go ahead. Yep. Uh, what's happening these days is, uh, to me, it's the demise of mainstream media. Um, uh, like journalism, to me, at some, it, it used to be a very noble pursuit. Well, what's changed uh, insofar as the content, though? Well, um, it used to be a search for the truth. Um, now it seems to be that there's one. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about BOCM. It's uh, you know, it's more like. Well, this is my view, this is your view. So depending on which television channel you listen to, they support your view. Uh, You know, uh, the truth. Journalism was, at one point in time, a search for the truth. 
I think a large part it still is. There will be some outlets that they know what side their bread is buttered on, and they will use that as a way they uh, create stories and or follow topics and the editorializing that they might do. But I think that there might be a tinge of exaggeration about legacy media because inside some of the outlets that people love to hate are still some top quality, full of integrity journalists that are doing exactly what you think they should be doing, and that's looking for the truth. Are there examples of biased media? A hundred percent. Some of that is human nature. Some of that's driven by ownership. You know, if we look across and we're honest with each other about who owns what, their background, their political leanings, their political donations, it does bleed into what ends up on the front page and in the uh, opinion pages. So that's true. But I think we've fallen into a bit of a trap there, too, is that it's so easy to say fake news. But just because you say it's fake doesn't mean it is. It might mean more often than not that you simply disagree with it. I agree 100% with what you just said. Uh, but, you know, uh, people can be led down. Um, uh, a fact should be a fact. Uh, the truth is the truth. Uh, you can't twist and turn that. You know, and people fall into that. Uh, a, a example is of the uh, trucker um, protest in Ottawa. You know, those people actually did believe, a lot of them, that we can overthrow this government. And people believe that. That's why they went there. And, and to uh, great expense to a lot of them, that, well, we can overthrow this government because it's wrong what they're doing. But I, I don't believe the government was doing anything wrong. And, and if you don't like the government, well, wait three years and we'll vote them out, you know. Um, so they were convinced through social media more than anything that that's uh, we, we can do this. And, 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 and the same thing happened in America with Donald Trump and his uh, the, the election was stolen. He continues that uh, cry to this day. You know, Canada is far from perfect, but from what you can see from the north of the border looking down, is the United States is a badly broken country. Boy, oh boy. We think we've got it bad. We should do all we can to avoid what has been the pitfall that we've seen politically speaking in their country because... It seeps up. We've seen examples of it, and it's not good, and it's not helpful, regardless of the party that you support, because, you know, some of the things that you read and see coming out of the United States are completely and absolutely daft. They just are. It's almost, it's almost too, uh, unbelievable to watch just how quickly things unravel in the United States of America, you know, and they get on with Make America Great and all this. I think there's a fair question to be asked about how great they ever were. Uh, I'll give you the last word before we take a break here. Travis, go ahead. Uh, I, I think I've said enough about that today, Patty, okay. but uh, I'll call in again some other time. Maybe we can talk. Anytime. Uh, take care, my friend. You too. All the best. Bye-bye. All right, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, when we come back, still plenty of time to speak with you, of course. Don't go away. Now, welcome back. Okay, let's go. Line number two, Ray, you're on the air. Hello, Ray. Line number two, you're on the air. <laughs> well, we give, uh, give Ray another shot. Are you there, Ray? 
All right, uh, let's put Ray on hold for a second while we set it up. So uh, there's questions about the seniors top up, and of course there's lots of different pockets of seniors top up money here. Some federal, some provincial. Some of the provincial assistance has already gone out the door earlier this month. Some of the federal assistance comes out the week of April 18th. And then of course some of the measures that were brought to bear from the provincial budget, additional measures, like if you're on the seniors benefit, which means that you have a net family income in and around $19,128, I think is somewhere around there or less, then you qualify for it. And that represented a 10% increase, which brought it up to 1444. Now 10% sounds like a good thing, right? And for some, it absolutely will be a meaningful injection into their pocketbooks. But when it comes out the way it does, it adds up to very little additional monies on your check when you actually receive it in the home. So some of these things, and I get it, if you're on income supplement, there was a 10% increase. For families get up to $1,000 a year. If you were on disability, there was an increase associated with that, also part of the five-point plan. And then the additional measures that were brought out in the provincial budget didn't pay attention to some of the major ones that folks talk to me about all the time, whether it be things regarding uh, uh, gasoline and diesel. Hearing some rumblings that there might be the interruption formula in play today or tomorrow, I'm trying to get some details. Now, I know the way the media has played it uh, with that big hike that was coming a few weeks ago is that there's an embargo and, you know, couple of outlets went around it and went right to the gas station owners to see what they were hearing and then they reported well the gas station owner said this as opposed to the embargo for embargo's purposes as a result we now have a much later news release coming i think it comes around eight o'clock embargo till 12 midnight so anyway um, if i can get it without betraying the embargo i'll do it let's go line number three ray you're on the air yes good morning ray what's on your mind I was wondering about uh, uh, there last year sometime they said there was going to be a 10% uh, hike going on to the senior seniors benefits. For the people receiving old age security? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to know what happened to that. Did everybody get it or did only some get it or what's going to go with that, I wonder? Everyone 75 and older got the one-time $500 check. The permanent 10% increase happens uh, this July. Oh, this July, eh? Yeah. And that's for uh, senior citizens now who were born when? Well, so if you were 75 years of age today, uh, let me see if I can do some very quick math there. So it's 2022, 2022 minus 75 if you were born... 1947 <laughs> you caught me off guard with a bit of mathematics yeah so 1947 yeah so if you're 75 uh at the beginning of this year you're eligible june 30th of 1947 uh, what about the people that born july they don't receive it <laughs> uh let me see if i can see if there's an actual set date here just one second i mean there's got to be one here somewhere uh Senior, 75 and older. Da, da, da. If you're 75 years or older, as of July 2022, you are you are eligible. Yeah. As of July 2022. Yep. And uh, is that July the 7th? It just says July, so I'm taking that to mean the 1st, Canada Day. Yeah, okay, so then... Uh, Anybody born after July 1st would fit in there. Will have to wait until the following year to qualify for the 10% increase. Yeah, I mean, 
the biggest crock I ever seen. Why is that? Like, here we go. People turn 65 years old. All those people paid in all their lives. And all of a sudden they're coming out with, okay, we're going to take the money that you paid in. You're a senior citizen, but you're not going to get this raise until you're 75 years old. That's right. And that money wouldn't have come from the established pot. This was an additional injection of money from the federal government, not from people's contributions over the years. Uh, Yes, but in the meantime, like, uh, there's going to be a whole group of people there uh, from 65 to 75 are not going to be too pleased with that because uh, the cost of living is going up for those people as well as the people over 75. Don't I know it? Oh, yes. I mean, here, those people, 70 to 75 bracket, uh, are left holding the bag, shall we say. Well, you if know. you're standing in front of me and you're 77 and I'm behind you and I'm 67, if we both had uh, two liter of milk, a stick of butter and a loaf of bread, it costs the exact same. The, the till or the cashier doesn't know that I'm 67 and you're 77. So you're right. The cost of living will be very, very similar. There might yes. be some additional complications with maybe some pharmaceuticals, maybe a couple of little different moving parts. But the answer to this one is just fundamental. This is just math. I asked and- Minister of Finance Freeland on this show when this was first introduced in her first budget last year and they made some excuses about there's additional burdens when you clear 75 but some of that is a little bit nonsensical it's simply about how much more money it would have cost the government that's why there was a cutoff I, uh, I hope they're not looking for too many votes for people from 65 to 75 all depends. There's another interesting thing coming up uh, next year that we don't talk about. But starting on the 1st of April next year, the age of eligibility for old age security and guaranteed in- income supplements is going to be gradually increased from 60, uh, 65 years old to 67 years old. That's going to be fully implemented by January, I think, is 2029. Yeah. I mean, remember that was a squabble between the Liberals and the Tories when the Prime Minister Harper was running for re-election against the newly minted Liberal leader, Justin Trudeau. That was an argument that they were having. So yes. now that's in play, and that's going to happen. What's also interesting about that is when the pension plans were first set up, the age of eligibility was 65, but the average lifespan was in the high 60s, as opposed to now in its 80s. So times have changed, but now it's going to be, you're only going to be eligible for those two pockets by the age of 60 and that's going to be by the end of this decade. Yes, and uh, the uh, politicians and the likes, they work for seven years and they get their uh, pension. They continue with the pension with no clawback. Then they go to work for the federal government for seven years and get uh, both provincial and federal uh, pensions plus their old age pensions with no clawback. And, and anybody that's injured or anything like that gets a claw back on everything they got coming in. If you have a federal and provincial uh, political pension, you got her scald. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Ray, I appreciate yeah. your time this morning, sir. Hopefully you got the information you needed. I'll invest you. You too. Okay, bye-bye. All right, let's go and take our uh, break for the newscast. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Josephine. You're on the air. Hi, yes. I'm calling about the CERB money that was given to us a couple years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. 
uh, $2,000 that they give us, and I got a letter the other day that they were going to take half my unemployment. Yeah, there's so clawbacks. When they give out the money, there, there was nothing saying that uh, we had to pay it back. So I don't know about the clawback on your unemployment, but it was always income and taxable income at that. So some of the clawbacks have happened because people were technically eligible for the uh, support monies, period. So that maybe people on income support or others that they applied, it was, you know, rushed out the door without all the required oversight and possibly some explanations, too, because some self-employed people who absolutely lost some work and some revenue, they got it and they're getting clawed back, too. So, yeah. There's some people that unexpectedly are seeing an adjustment to their income support payments and otherwise, yeah. Yeah, and right now, there's more pandemic right now for me than than either virus. Because you take, I'm only a low-income person, I'm single, I manage a house, a car by myself, and for them to take 50% of my unemployment is a little much, I think. I think they're ruining Newfoundlanders. Well, there wouldn't be a Newfoundland thing either, or Newfoundland no, Labrador. No, thing. well, I'm just talking about Newfoundlanders. I don't know about anybody else. And you got people coming, uh, people on social services signed up for it, and they didn't forget their letter saying they have to pay it back. Yes, they did, from the province. The province is clawing it back to the 2 to 5%, I think, which is going to take forever and a day. It's probably going to cost more to get it back than it does to uh, set up. And pardon me, it's going to cost more to set up the process than it is the money we're going to recoup. So some of that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. No, and I, I didn't sign up for the serve money. I just signed up for my regular unemployment. So why are you getting anything clawed back if you're just getting regular unemployment? I don't know. You I didn't know. receive any Canada Emergency no, Response Benefit? Yeah, well, when I signed up for my unemployment, they automatically put me on the serve money. There was no way I tried to get off it. I oh, yes, I okay. Serve money. I, the virus didn't impact me at whatsoever financially. But there was no way that I could go on my regular unemployment. I had to stay on the serve money. I didn't have a choice. That's right. I remember how that rolled out. You're right. Now, yeah. people knew full well that to be eligible, it was if you lost your job or hours because of shutdowns, lockdowns, whatever people want to call it, you would be technically eligible. Lots of people who knew full well that the virus didn't impact their revenue stream, whether it be income support or otherwise, they did it anyway. And so consequently, they're getting some of that money clawed back. Oh, yes, I understand that. I understand yep. that. But to take 50% of the unemployment, like, that's a lot. That's a lot. It is a lot to lose. And I don't understand why that would be the case. Now, if, you know, again, with so many Canadians that were applying for one level of support or another, they've funneled everyone into the same envelope. So you, you're right. You could not get on your regular unemployment no, if you applied not. at that time. It was straight into the CERB. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. True. And all he had to do was put a marker box there if you want to go on ceremony or if you want to go on your regular unemployment. It was easy done. It could and should have been. I don't uh, argue that point. Yeah. It was easy done. And now I am. I'm, I'm losing half my unemployment. And I got a mortgage. I got a car payment. I got house insurance. And I, I, like, I, I'm finding it very difficult. Very difficult. I would imagine you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, and no talk of it. Like, we haven't heard any talk of it on the news or anything like that. So I just want to put it out there that a lot of people is struggling, struggling. And this is the year with tax time by the end of the month, you're going to hear more of these types of stories. I suppose it's probably something I should do with the federal minister responsible for Service Canada to talk about this, give people a heads up as to what's coming. You might not want to hear the answers, but at least a bit of information might make it easier to, to navigate. Anyway, so I'll see if I can do that. Yes, please, please try to 
Well, try to give them the talk anyway. <laughs> I'll try to get See some you. answers best I can. See how everybody else is doing, because I'm fine with this. I'm in a financial state. Let me see what I can find out and see who I can get to speak to on the show. Okay, buddy. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Josephine. Take you care. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, you know, and I get taken to task every time that I say something like this, but for folks on income support, for instance, it probably does cost a lot to set up the process for climb back. I think the, the number that the province has chosen is 5%, even though it's kind of hard to understand why that's a provincial issue versus the federal government, because it was federal government money. But anyway, it doesn't matter what the money was spent on. The fact is the money is spent. So when people, and we hear the stories all the time, and there does need to be a complete restructuring of income support. There just does. But for folks who were already in a real bind, and we know what that means, even if you just boil it back to something along the lines of the social determinants of health, for folks who are already absolutely struggling mightily, income support, fixed income seniors, whatever the case may be, a claw back on that front might make bad situations worse. So if the concept is accountability and blood out of a turnip and all of these types of words or phrases people will throw around if the end outcome is things were made from bad to worse for an effort to claw back some of these monies and what it costs to claw back some of these monies a careful evaluation or calculation has never been presented by any level of government to me so where that came to be it to bear i don't know but again if it's just about optics and it's the quote-unquote account accountability that we can't even get governments to abide by, then are we even on the right track? Let's take our final break of the morning. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Well, this is from a listener regarding the clawback on your EI. So, Josephine, if you're still listening, you can indeed call to schedule a repayment plan, which might not be as arduous as half of your check going away as they claw back the serve money. So, possibly, you can set up a plan that will be more manageable for you. Let's go to line number one. Say good morning to the independent members of the House of, House of Assembly for Mount Pearl Southlands. That's Paul Lane. Paul, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you this morning? Not so bad, you? I'm not bad at all, sir. Um, Patty, uh, I like, uh, I guess, many MHAs, uh, I guess, uh, probably all MHAs throughout the province. Over the last number of months, uh, I've received uh, a number of calls from constituents uh, around the lack of uh, family doctors. So uh, it's certainly impacting people all throughout the province, including people in Mount Pearl and Southlands and all over St. John's. It's, uh, we're hearing certainly in the, in the media about the challenges they're having in rural Newfoundland and Labrador, and I certainly have a lot of empathy for those people in those areas. But uh, it's also a problem on this end of the island as well. And <clears throat> I guess um, a few months ago, I had a meeting uh, with the Newfoundland Labrador Medical Association. And uh, one of the things we were talking about uh, was the lack of family doctors. And certainly they told me at that time, which has sort of been reaffirmed many times in the media and by the minister and the premier and so on, that, um, you know, that doctors these days in particular, they want to work in what they, what's known as teams. And I guess that's the rationale behind the collaborative uh, clinics and so on that we're seeing set up in this area and, and I guess they'll be set up in other parts of the island as well. Uh, and I'm not against that concept. Uh, I certainly understand uh, where they're coming from on it and 
having different disciplines working together, working to their full scopes of practice and so on. Uh, it, it makes sense. Uh, it makes sense to me. However, here's here's an issue I'm, I've, had, I've had a couple of people now over the last uh, three or four days contact me, uh, someone uh, as early as this morning, about the fact that uh, they have a family doctor uh, who, uh, and they've been notified that the family doctor is shutting down her practice here uh, in Mount Pearl um, and is going to be joining a collaborative uh, clinic. Uh, problem being, though, is that the doctor cannot, uh, I don't know if that she won't or she can't, take her patients with her. So here you now have a situation, and, and, and it's interesting because I saw a story on BOCM News uh, over the weekend where Minister Haggie said that uh, that's not happening, that that's not true. And, uh, you know, uh, all I can say is that's not the information I've received. And I know sometimes we've seen it with, with politicians and so on over the years where you had to be careful in every word they say, because I noticed that in the story it said that Minister Haggy said uh, all the doctors in the collaborative clinics are new. There has no, nobody has left. Now, there's a difference, I guess, between doctors who currently are there. So right now, the doctors currently there, maybe they are new, but that doesn't, uh, that doesn't negate the fact that we have doctors who are going to be shutting down in the next couple of months and going there so like he may not what he's saying may technically be true that the doctors there now are new but if other doctors who are not new who are have practices are in the process of shutting down clinics and moving to collaborative clinics then then we're not solving any problems because there's no that's not an extra doctor and as a matter of fact we've now created a whole bunch of other problems because now you got people who had a doctor uh, who are going to lose their doctor. And, of course, you've had callers talk about the fact that not only that, they're not going to get their medical files, they're going to have to pay hundreds of dollars to get their medical files. Yeah, that depends. That depends on the doctor. Um, I heard from one doctor who uh, told me quite clearly that he was moving from one clinic to uh, one of these collaborative clinics. He's not a new doctor of the system. He's been practicing for 12 years. So that's just yep. one doctor who reached out to me. The medical yep. records thing, there's many doctors that give you some grace periods where you can just come collect them free of uh, cost right there at their office, which is the way it should be. Or if there's going to be transfer files, it simply should be to MCP. The only difference or additional patient roster numbers you'll see in these primary care or collaborative teams is that if I didn't have a GP who was my family doctor, at least in these particular clinics, or at least some of them, you'll just be able to walk in and see whoever you need to see. So there will be more patients seen, but that does not mean that every doctor inside these clinics is new to the system. It may just be a doctor from another clinic. That's absolutely true. Uh, absolutely. And, of course, Patty, and I understand that. Like, if I, wanted, if I, if I was going to a collaborative clinic, for argument's sake, like I've, I've said for the longest time, I've always felt like it seems like an awful waste of money to have it. Like if you need a note for work and you go into that, and especially if, if you're needing a note for like a week ago. I mean, I, I've been down that road, you know, years ago. You go to the doctor and say, how can I help you? Well, I, my employer needs a note. I was sick. When were you sick? I was sick last week. Well, I'm not sick now, but I was sick last week. Okay, no problem. Here's a note. Now, what a waste of time and money for a family doctor. So, if if, uh, if if you still need a note and stuff, I mean, a nurse could write a note in that case, you know, just as easy, or, or anybody could write a note, you know, don't have to be a, a GP. But the problem I have with this now 
is that if you have a, a, a doctor who currently has a practice and has patients who's and they've been that doctor's been seeing these patients, whatever, why cannot if that doctor is going to now be part of a clinic, why can't those patients go with the doctor and then those patients, if they go to the clinic and they don't need the doctor, they can see a, you know a, a nurse or whatever at certain times to free up more spaces, fine and dandy. But now you're taking away those doc- their doctor. And now they got to go stand in line behind another 10,000 people uh, trying to see if they can become part of the clinic. So, you know, like you're not solving anything. All you've done is you've taken another group of people who had a doctor and put them in a far worse situation. And for the minister to say this is not happening, well, I'm telling you, well, you had a doctor reach out to you. And I've had a couple of constituents reach out to me, and it absolutely is happening. I don't know if it makes things worse. I don't know why that would be. So if I was a family practice doctor with a roster of 3,000, but these new clinics can see as many as 9,000 because you might not need a GP. That's the trick and the upside to a primary care team is that if I really just need to see an RN or a nurse practitioner or a pharmacist, then I see that person. I don't have to see the GP. So we're not going to see less patients, but we might not. it might not be the uh, panacea, as it's been described. Yeah, well, yeah, no, Patty, I, I agree with you, and, and I understand that they're going to see more patients. That's, that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that if Dr. X, okay, who's here in Mount Pearl right now, for argument's sake, I won't, I won't name the doctor, but Dr. X is now going to move to a collaborative clinic, okay? And she has... 3,000 patients, for argument's sake. Now under the new system, they could see nine. Well, she should be able to take those 3,000 patients with her. These 3,000 patients are now going to be without a doctor, and now they got to try to become part of the system behind, you know, 20,000 other people who are trying to get a doctor. What I'm saying is they're losing their doctor, and they're not going with the doctor. Like, let the doctor take her 3,000, and then they can take an additional 6,000 new people to go along with it under the team but don't deprive don't take away someone had a family doctor for the last yeah. 10 years or 15 whatever long it is now you're going to take the doctor and now we got to stand in line and hope to get back with that doctor yeah i, I think i get the point but then the rest of the patients for that particular clinic would be have a very different set of circumstances protected uh, provided to them because the patients that came with the doctor they have a doctor the folks who walk in the door who wasn't on that doctor's roster don't get that same service i'm not so sure that's yeah. no, the intention of a private clinic no no well no, they no, don't no. but but they don't but they don't they, they do they do that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that if okay. the doctor had 3000 patients i heard what you said the paul doctor becomes part of a team right i heard what you said the, the yeah. patients can still follow the doctor it's just not a formal the doctor brings the patients because there wouldn't be the same for every other person who walks in that door to try to be part of that particular clinic anyway you've had the last word this morning paul appreciate the time thank you patty have a good day you too bye-bye it's paul lane independent member of mount pearl southlands all right good show today we'll wrap it up with a little bit of clancy brothers today you heard from michael boyle earlier talking about the the uh, the easter uprising or the easter rebellion and I gave a little blurt of what happens at the Galway races. Here's the Clancy Brothers. And we will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.